0: You'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. If you're new here, then welcome. So happy to have you. And if you're returning, then welcome back. Today, we have a conversation with my guest this week. Jyoti Chada. Jyoti is a founder of my wellness company. She is a cyclical living mentor, a yoga and meditation teacher, and holistic wellness practitioner. She is here to guide you back home to yourself and empower you on your journey as you peel back the layers, reclaim your truth, and step into your power. She does this using a range of holistic wellness modalities, including menstrual cycle mentoring, yogic philosophy, moon wisdom, Ayurveda, pranayama, and journaling. Joyti has many offerings, including one to one mentoring, women's circles, and more. I enjoyed this conversation so much. We both have similar experiences going to India to study uh, yoga and to get our yoga teacher trainings from this little town in the Himalayas called Rishikesh. So you'll hear a little bit about our experiences doing that and especially for Jyoti as someone who grew up in the UK but is Indian and had kind of lost some reconnection to her Indian ancestry and through the practice of yoga and going to yoga to study really reconnected with that part of herself. We also talk a lot about menstrual cycles and this is a topic that I'm actually really passionate about and haven't gotten a chance to talk about in the podcast yet, so I'm really excited that we were able to talk about this with Jyoti today. But if you'll remember, a couple months ago, I did a solo episode on creative cycles and creative seasons. And part of being a creative person is that we do go through cycles and we go through seasons. Our creativity isn't one note the entire time just as human beings, just as the moon goes through these different cycles and phases. We are all going through cycles and phases at the same time. And so we really get into what it's like to be a person who bleeds, a person who has a menstrual cycle, and how those cycles and phases affect our well-being and our health. And how we can learn to connect with this practice, to be able to connect with our intuition and to connect with ourselves and learn more about ourselves. And so Joythi gives us some really good tips on how you can start doing this. Um, and it's a practice that I've been doing for the last three years or so. I share a little bit about in this podcast how I got started with charting my menstrual cycle and really connecting with my menstrual cycle. And if you're interested in learning more, Joythi has some incredible resources that you can check out. I'm also putting those in the show notes. So encourage you to, if you feel called, really explore and discover more about this practice for yourself because it's a very sacred and ancient practice and so really excited to be sharing that with you today we also talk about the moon cycles and how you can work with the wisdom of the moon cycles whether or not you bleed it doesn't matter you don't have to bleed in order to connect with the moon cycles and then we also talk about yoga and yogic philosophy and the cultural appropriation and whitewashing of yoga, which is also a conversation and topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and talking about some of the ways that we can responsibly practice yoga if we feel called to practice. So I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Joyti Chadha.
1: Hi, Jordi. Welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here.
0: Yes. Yeah, so the first question that I ask everyone when they come on is, what is currently fueling your
1: creative soul? Oh, that is a very good question. So I guess kind of my journey of self-discovery as I come back home to myself. Yeah, that's kind of like my message, I suppose, or like what I feel like I'm here to do to help guide others back home to themselves. And of course, I am on very much on that journey myself as well. Mm, I love that. Will you tell us a little bit about your journey,
0: like where you got started and how it led you to what you're doing today? Yeah, of
1: course. So I studied um, psychology at university had originally kind of wanted to go into that field, but then sort of realized it wasn't it wasn't for me. I then became a primary school teacher. I really wanted to work with children. And that was amazing. But again, it just wasn't really like fueling my soul. Like there was a lot, there's a lot of issues within the British education system where I was teaching. And I think I can reflect on that a bit easier. Now I've got some distance, but you know you're very confined into like what you can and can't do for me where kind of the priorities were that we had to kind of basically teach children so that they could pass tests and i'm talking like 6 7 year olds i didn't like feel comfortable doing that at all you know we weren't really taking into account their well-being and it wasn't necessarily because of the schools it's you know it comes from the top anyway so i then decided to go to india to do my yoga teacher training because I'd kind of started practicing yoga and by that I mean like the physical practice I guess again upon reflection I can see that I've always practiced yoga being Indian it's very much part of the culture that I grew up in but I didn't necessarily label it as yoga and yeah kind of I guess it all stemmed from there when I kind of realized that teaching wasn't making me happy and I wanted something more from life i couldn't see myself doing that forever i started exploring a lot of different wellness modalities and and started my company so my wellness company and just started kind of working for myself holding space for others to explore their own wellness journey as they come home back to themselves
0: Mm, that's so beautiful and i like what you said about like growing up being Indian, you practiced yoga, but you didn't necessarily label that as yoga. And so I'm curious to hear more about your experience, like going to India to study yoga and what that experience was like and how did, you know, having your heritage and ancestry, how did that like inform your experience?
1: So I think growing up, I very much rejected my culture. I wanted to be like everyone else. And most of the people around me were white. They weren't Indian. They weren't people of color. So I was like, I don't want to eat Indian food. I want to eat fish fingers and chips or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Now, the complete opposite. Um, But, you know, just things like that, even, you know, with my name, I would introduce myself as Jyoti, not Jyoti. I wouldn't say it properly and just tried to like fit in as much as possible. I guess like I was living almost a double life and I would be as white as possible with my friends at school and I guess really myself at home, maybe a little bit more Indian. I don't know, but you know, I was kind of leading this, this double life. So going to India and studying yoga again, everyone on this course was, was white or, or they weren't Indian. I was the only like Indian person who was studying it All the teachers were Indian, of course. And it was just It really blew my mind to see all of these people who were so invested and in love with this culture that I'd grown up in rejected. And I was just in awe really like myself. I was like, wow, like this is incredible. Like I just felt so peaceful. So at home, we were waking up at like five in the morning to do all of these different classes, you know, the whole of yoga from cleansing practices to meditation, to breath work, to the physical practice till like seven o'clock at night. And I had never felt better despite just getting up early, going to bed late, well, not that late, but you know, being in this routine, but it just felt amazing. And yeah, it just made me realize like, actually this is what I love. And I think I'd been on that journey kind of coming back to my culture for a little while, like going to uni really helped with that and finding other people who who I guess had had similar experiences to me, and I kind of joined Hindu society and started to connect with more Indian people that weren't like just my family and just learn really about my culture and um, the religion in a different way to what you know you're taught at school, because all I remember being taught at school was that about like forced child marriages, which of course happens in India, but that is not a religious thing. It's a cultural thing. And that cows wander around in the road and that we have lots of gods, which again, isn't true because we have one God in many forms and, you know, all of these things that I would go home and be like, Mum, what does this mean? And she'd be like, oh my goodness. Like my mom was born in India and, and came to England when she got married. So she, you know, knows quite a lot. And yeah, I feel like I've zipped about all over the place, but it's been quite a journey.
0: Wow. I love that. And where in India did you study? So I went to Rishikesh.
1: Oh my gosh, I don't know if we talked about this, but I also went to Rishikesh and and what school did you go to? So I went to a place called Gyan Yog Breath in January 2020. Oh my gosh. Yeah, literally just before like the pandemic kicked off. And it so the where I went was kind of out of the town like it wasn't we had to get like a taxi into like lakshmanjula and ramjula to kind of get to that area so we were kind of right by the river at the foot of the himalayas like out of it which actually was really nice
0: oh my gosh yeah i love that you went in january 2020 i went october 2019 so i just love that like parallel of that experience and did you stay in india like
1: were you just there for the month and was it your first time in india Um, it wasn't my first time. I've been to India lots of times because my mum's family all live there. So we often go, so they're from Punjab, so often go to Punjab and see my family. And we've been to like kind of lots of different temples around India, which is, I guess the way that I've kind of traveled it. But having said that I haven't seen very much of it, you know, it's such a big place. And yeah, so after I did stay in India for a couple more weeks. I attended like a, one of my cousin's weddings again. Saw my family, and it was just so nice. Mm, I love hearing that, and I and also like this this part that you're speaking to
0: about how yoga kind of reconnected you with the culture that you had kind of shut off, or that part of yourself that you had shut off. And so it's so beautiful to like rediscover this ancient practice and in, and in that rediscover part of your culture and part of yourself and so i'm curious for you after like that journey of getting your yoga teacher training and being in india and then coming back home and then a couple like a month or so later
1: going into lockdown like what was that experience for you yeah it was pretty crazy um you know i was kind of in my head pre- had prepared to start doing in-person classes in-person workshops I thought, oh, maybe in a few years, I'll kind of build an online platform where I you know, might do some online classes or host things. But obviously with the pandemic, I had to completely shift and everything had to be online, which I guess in some ways has been a blessing because I've been able to connect with people that I otherwise wouldn't have, you know, like you, for example. Yeah, like people from all over the world, like teaching yoga. I've had people from Australia, from France, from the US and so on. So that's been really amazing to kind of reach, I guess, more people, but of course it's been difficult, you know, I think running your own business can be quite isolating anyway, mm. but having to do it in the midst of a pandemic is almost even more isolating. So yeah, it's it's had its good and bad points, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious for you, like what are some of those practices that you've developed and cultivated throughout the years That really help you when you're feeling in times of isolation or things like that? What are some kind of your creative rituals or self-care rituals?
1: So journaling is a big one for me. Just writing about how I'm feeling or just anything. A lot of what I write doesn't really make that much sense, but I just kind of free-write, let it all flow onto the page and kind of alongside that doing guided meditations moving my body in some way so whether that is a yoga practice i've recently started doing pilates which has been really fun um, last year i started running just like doing different things really i think i've realized i need to be trying new things otherwise i do have a tendency to get a bit bored breath work so brana has been incredible and then also just connecting with other people you know talking to my friends and remembering that even though I might not be able to physically see them they are still there and I think in terms of kind of like running a business and it being isolating I've just started reaching out to people on Instagram and you know saying oh I really like what you're doing like I'd love to just speak to you and just learn more about what you're doing or Mm. you know your podcast sounds great let's have a conversation about it or you know, just things like that, like putting yourself out there, some people reply, some people don't. And if they do, then that's great. If they don't, then that's also okay. So yeah, I think just kind of not being afraid of, of people not replying or saying no, you know, it's not, it's not actually a big deal, even though it can feel really daunting.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's such an important piece of it, of like reaching out and connecting with others. And sometimes like you have to be the one to reach out to people and that can feel really scary to put yourself out there. But I mean, I think that's like how we connected. And so I think that's beautiful because it's like then, and I've definitely experienced that in my life with my business and just my personal life too, of like reaching out and then having these beautiful conversations with others and just connecting when we normally wouldn't have. So that's kind of a cool silver lining. And I know that you, part of your work is you do menstrual cycle coaching and so I'm super curious to hear more about that. And if you'd like, you can maybe give us the different like phases of your menstrual cycle and how that might tie into your creative cycles. Because for me, creativity and living life as cyclical beings is such an important piece of being a creative person and be- being
1: in the creative process. And so curious if you can tell us a bit more about your work with that. Yeah, of course. I think cyclical living is so important and something that I really try to practice and I'm embodying more and more kind of I guess with each cycle or each of my menstrual cycles as they kind of progress. So within our menstrual cycle we have four phases or four um, parts. So we have the bleed which is often equa- uh, called your inner winter phase And this is really a time to rest, to relax, um, just to step away from the world. So your intuition is going to be really strong at this point. And if you kind of take that step back and are able to give yourself some space, then you're probably going to find that for the rest of the cycle, you feel more energized and perhaps even more creative. So for me, I really like to where possible, obviously it's easier because I run my own business, I can do this, but to take a couple of days off or at least a good couple of hours. And I know that's not possible for everyone. So even if you you take an hour, 15 minutes, whatever you can just to really check in with yourself and how you're feeling, it can just be so powerful. And also for me at this time, I find it much easier to meditate and to be still and then we move into the spring phase so this is the pre-ovulatory phase and this is your inner spring so if you think about the energy of spring it's very playful you're kind of blossoming things are starting to grow and bubble so it's a pretty creative phase i would say and perhaps those ideas that came through those messages through your intuition in your winter phase you kind of start to bring into fruition in your spring phase and kind of birth them out into the world, you know, take the action and the steps that you that are necessary. This is also a really nice time to start new things. So often, you know, a fear of not being good at something will stop us from doing things. But during this time because we are a bit more playful and a bit more relaxed, we kind of that doesn't bother us so much. And then we move into the inner summer phase or the ovulatory phase. So this is when we are ovulating and this is for a lot of people, not for everyone, but it's kind of like a superwoman phase. Like you feel like you can do it all. Perhaps some of those emotions that you had a couple of weeks ago, you're like, I don't understand why I was feeling that. Like, why did I think I couldn't do all of this? I can do it all. And I can see you nodding like. ah. I I always feel like this, like every few weeks, I'm like, what was wrong with me? Like, why was I thinking that? But, you know, it's to do with, you know, our hormones, our energy levels and so on. So again, this is quite a creative phase because we really just have a lot of energy and we're able to do all of the things. But having said that, it doesn't mean that we should be doing all of the things. We don't have to, you know, do try to conserve some of your energy for yourself and just, you know, for the people around you. And to prevent burnout really, because this is a time when we can definitely do that. And then we come into the autumn phase, which is the premenstrual phase. So this is the PMS phase that, you know, gets a bad rep um, in the world. (laughs) And really during this time, if you think about what happens in autumn, we in nature, like You know, the leaves fall off the trees, animals prepare for hibernation. And that's what our bodies are doing. They're kind of preparing for menstruation for our bleed. So it's a lovely time to kind of take stock of what's going on and edit. So what do you want to take into the next cycle? What do you not? What's worked? What hasn't? You know, all of those sorts of things. You know, great time to kind of Marie Kondo your house, um, all of that sort of stuff. And again, just to like, be really gentle with yourself. So the autumn and winter phase are kind of the more feminine energies. You're kind of taking a step back from the world into yourself. Whereas spring and summer are a lot more masculine. You know, you're out there in the world, you're doing your thing. And as I said, everyone experiences these so differently. And so will a, an individual from cycle to cycle. But I'd say, like, each phase is creative in its own way. I guess it depends what you define as creativity, right? Mm.
0: Wow. Thank you for giving us that. I, yeah, I'm so glad that you do this work because I, so I'll tell you a little like background and story how I got kind of into like learning more about the cycles. I think like three years or so ago, like I've always been kind of interested. I mean, I've always been a creative person. I've always been an interested in like cyclical nature of humanity of the moon cycle and living by the moon cycle. And I picked up a book about three years ago called Wild Power by sojani C- Wurlitzer. I think I'm saying that right, but Alexandra Pope and Siani Wurlitzer. I'll put the link in the show notes. And I read that book and it like totally changed everything because it's, it's just so interesting to like how we've been taught to view our menstrual cycles. And it's like before I was taught to view it as like, oh, no, it's the worst time of month. It's like, you know, I, it means that I, you know, like it, it was just like, oh, the worst thing. Like now I have a headache and I have all these symptoms and And like, I never viewed getting my period as like a beautiful or even a good thing. And after reading this book and like finding people online who were talking more about like menstrual cycle coaching awareness, like you probably know Claire Baker is a big one who I love. And now it's like, I fully over the past three years, I've developed this like beautiful relationship with my cycle. And now my getting my period is like my favorite thing, like my favorite day is that first day of my cycle where I'm like, I have permission to just like be with my intuition and meditate all day or take a long walk all day and like, it's just so interesting how much our perception shifts when we really tap into this like cyclical nature of our of our bodies and our beings and so I just wanted to share that with you and curious for you like how you found this work like how has it changed your life and what have you and and what is it like sharing we'll start with that and then we can talk about like what's it like sharing with clients and all that because I'm curious about that too but yeah how did you get into this
1: work yeah I love your story I think that's so um amazing and you're so right like we we aren't taught the gifts, because it is a gift and it is such a beautiful thing. And yeah, you're right, like having your period shouldn't be, oh God, here it is again, it should be like, oh yes, like exactly like you said, I've got permission now to, to rest and to really just be with myself. So yeah, I guess for me, it was somewhat a similar way. So I'd been thinking for a while that I kind of noticed these patterns in my thoughts and my kind of emotions And I thought, I wonder if we're connected to the moon or I am connected to the moon. And I wonder if this is something to do with my like menstrual cycle as well. But I didn't really kind of do anything else. And then I was listening to a podcast and someone mentioned this book. So it's Maisie Hill's book, Period Power. Mm. So I was and she just sort of explained how effectively what I've just just said. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this makes so much sense. Like, yeah. So I bought the book, I read it, and I've bought a few other books. So Claire Baker's being one of them, and I'm actually doing a course with her at the moment. Oh good. So yeah, so it's just been so incredible to learn how we can really honour our cycles and live in tune with them rather than working against them. And then I've also kind of really been reading and learning around the Ayurvedic practices within kind of the menstrual cycle and I guess like the ancient wisdom from, from India, as well as kind of the, the wisdom that other people teach and it's just so fascinating to kind of bring it all together and take the bits, I guess, that work for me and yeah, like share that with clients and just with other people, I think. People love to learn about themselves, and when you're actually able to learn about your period, but in this way, you know at school we don't learn about it like this we're just taught about it really scientifically, and you're almost detached from the fact that this is what's happening to you every month you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, like that's what happens, but you don't you don't make that connection so I think to actually have that connection to your body and to really feel into it is well it's just a sacred practice and mm. know every month we get a chance to reset to edit to release and to set intentions and that is that's incredible and also you know your your period can tell you so much about your health Mm -hmm. so every month we can kind of think okay like how how was it for me you know the color of your blood if you how much pain you have so on and so on can tell you so much information so it's really is just a tool that's there for you to tell you how your general health is as well. But again, people don't know how to tap into that and what any of it means. We're just told to take a pill and pretend it's not happening. And, or and you know, if you want to take a pill, that's fine. You know, everyone should be able to do what they want. I, I do believe that and I know some people need to. But it's like the automatic thing, especially here in the UK, you go to the doctor with any kind of problem about your periods and they're like here just like you know we'll just prescribe you the pill from from such a young age like I remember it for my sister she was kind of like 12 or 13 and they wanted to prescribe it to her and my mom was like absolutely not and I think in hindsight like she would be really glad about that but at the time she was like oh mom please just let me take it
0: Yeah. It's so, I mean, yeah, I resonate with everything you said. And and I think it's very similar in the U S too, of like that, you know, that's become the norm of, yeah, just taking the pill so that you you don't even get your period or even like I was on hormonal birth control. I had an IUD for like three years and I still got my period in that, but it wasn't, you know, now I, I got off the hormonal birth control about like maybe like f- five months ago now. And I've noticed such a difference in my cycle. And so when I was actually doing this work, I was actually on the hormonal birth control. And I was kind of like, is it not as like powerful because I-, I have this like hormones in my body and it's like, just, like changing my cycle. And I was kind of out of touch with what my true cycle was like. And I, and I was wondering if something was missing or, if I just wasn't even realizing something because I was so used to these hormones. And so when I got the hormonal blood control out, I like realized this is getting a little graphic, but I realized the, like when you're ovulating, you have this natural discharge that comes out of your body. And I had forgotten about it. And I hadn't, I realized that I hadn't had it for the past three years. And then suddenly I was like reconnecting with that. And so that was so beautiful. And yeah, just like getting... I felt after getting that out, like being so much more in tune with my emotions and like feeling, just feeling different emotions. And it's just, it's such a, like you said, it's a sacred practice and it's such a, I feel like there's so many different facets of it. And like, even what you said about how your blood can tell you about your health. And like, I haven't even tapped into that yet. And so because there's such like a vast array of resources or like knowledge to tap into what would be some of your suggestions for like where to get started if someone's like curious about starting to build up a personal relationship with their menstrual cycle
1: yeah so i think i always forget about to mention this but if you are on like hormonal contraception then you can work with the moon phases as your phases so Mm. You can choose whether the new or the full moon or even like the waxing or the waning moon, kind of the, the quarter moons are your bleed phase and then kind of the next one will be the next one and so on. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's not that if you're on hormonal contraception, you can't do this work. But as you were just saying, you're perhaps are somewhat more disconnected from your body just because you're not having a real period as it is, as like, so to speak. So I'd say like the best place to start is to start charting your cycle. So day one is the first day that you bleed. So there's loads of different ways to do this. You can get like wheels, which are kind of like sectioned into like 30 days or so, and you can just track your cycle. So on each day you can write how you feel mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you could track your sleep, you could track your appetite, whatever it is that you kind of want to be looking at. For me, I just write it in my journal. So I journal every day, most mornings. So at the top, you know, I'll write the date and I'll write what cycle day I'm on as well as the moon phase and I'll just kind of write how I'm feeling. And I think what happens is through doing that, after two or three cycles, you'll start to notice patterns So perhaps on day 20, you're always just feeling absolutely awful and that's like your worst PMS day. So you know where possible when day 20 is coming up, try to take it as easy as possible. Or you will start to realize, okay, my period's about 29 days. So this is the day I'll be coming on. This is the first three days of my period. Let me try and again, take it as easy as possible. Or if you're fortunate enough, to not have to work let's not work on those days and yeah you can just really start to notice these patterns because i think so often we will be feeling really upset or angry or just these really big emotions and we don't understand why and then we'll start to bleed and we'll be like oh okay that's why (laughs) so yeah i think it can just really help with that Mm. and just knowing yourself i mean you know we're living in this body for the rest of you know our life or this life so why would you not want to learn about about yourself your body and how you can make that or this journey like easier or more synchronized or more sacred you know it's so beautiful to do these rituals for yourself and just learn about yourself mm, yeah that's so beautiful and thank you for sharing The piece about the
0: moon, too, that if you don't have a bleed, you can even connect with the moon cycles. And it's interesting, too, that that brought up for me that, like, there's the ancient practice of women either bleeding with the new moon or bleeding with the full moon. And, like, there's symbols and messages, whether or not you bleed on either one. And I noticed I started to sync up with the new moon. And then, like, a month later, now I've synced up with the full moon. And it's just, like, so interesting to kind of again, have this other tool to, to see like from that bird's eye view of like what's going on in your life and how is that being reflected in your cycles and your body. And I love the piece too, about just charting and like, that's how you can get started just by taking note and observing and writing down how you feel every day and and noticing what that relationship is to the moon and so that's really beautiful and I'd love to hear more about kind of relating this to cycles and everything but more about your personal moon practice because I know you lead moon circles women's circles for the moon and, and what is your personal moon
1: practice like yeah so I tend to work with the new and the full moon so on the new moon I will Set my intentions. So, first, I'll kind of think about what I don't want and what's been coming up for me for the few days before the dark moon phase, which can kind of be like a really low energy point. So, often a lot of stuff will come up, kind of limiting beliefs, things that are holding me back, and so on. So, I'll release those. And I do that really through journaling, through meditation, through breath work. And those are the three practices that we use in the moon circles that I lead as well. So I'll let go and sometimes I'll burn like the piece of paper that I've done it on. And if anyone's going to do that and is listening, please do it nice and safely. But that can just be a really, really nice practice to just kind of, you know, I release or I let go of. And just really think about what it is that is no longer serving me that I want to want to let go of. And I think it's important to note that it's not that you're just going to write down, I let go of perfectionism and then that's it, it's gone. Like there's still a lot of other work to be done, but just being able to identify that and bring it into your consciousness is a, is a really important first step. And then in terms of the full moon, I like to look back at my new moon kind of goal setting or intentions that I'd written and think about what's come into fruition how have the last couple of weeks been and then also look back at the new moon intentions so if the full moon's in Scorpio look back at my new moon Scorpio intentions and see kind of what's happened in the last six months and yeah again just kind of take some time to reflect and also to celebrate I think we don't do enough of that in our culture we're not taught especially as women, um, to celebrate our successes. So just take some time to practice some gratitude. Again, writing it down, the things that I'm grateful for, the things that have happened that are really amazing. And then taking stock again of the things perhaps that haven't happened and then why. So often the reason that things perhaps haven't come into fruition if we get really, really honest with ourselves is because of us, because we get in our own way due to those limiting beliefs and kind of those behaviors, those protection behaviors that are holding us back ultimately. So again, it's just a chance to get really clear on those and to identify what they are and let go of them. Obviously, you know, you're not gonna write an intention. I want to make 5,000 pounds and then you're not gonna make 5,000 pounds in two weeks. So of course, some things need to take time, but also, you know, we do get in our own way because that's that's what the brain does it it wants to keep you safe, so it will it will do what it's always known, even if that thing isn't serving you, even if it's bad for you, so to speak it will it will do that
0: mm. yeah, isn't that fascinating that like in order to keep ourselves safe, we try to hold ourselves back because we don't mm-hmm. realize that. It actually is safe to let go or it is safe to be seen when many for many years and in many different cultures even today that it's not safe to be seen and it's not safe to use your voice and so for us you know living in western cultures and being women that are free to use our voices and free to explore our menstrual cycles i mean in some places that still would be such a taboo subject and it and you know we even have to like work through that taboo within ourselves and like working to yeah kind of liberate that in the collective as well and so yeah curious for you like are there any experiences or 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 things that you've really felt like you were working through maybe in this past moon cycle i know the scorpio i love that you mentioned the scorpio new moon to full moon cuz i feel like that was an intense one but are there things that you're noticing within yourself and having all these practices support to support you like yoga Ayurveda and charting your cycle like what are some of those things that you've been currently shifting or working
1: towards or working out of yeah so I mean that Scorpio full moon we just had oh my goodness (laughs) that was so intense (laughs) so intense (laughs) Yeah, I'm Scorpio rising. So yeah, it was it was a lot, I think for everyone, whether you have Scorpio in your chart or not. Yeah. So I'd say for me, what I've noticed is that my kind of core thing that holds me back is this fear of what others will think of me. Mm. So that kind of can manifest as people pleasing, as procrastination, as holding myself back because I'm afraid of criticism. All of these things, I think, from kind of the, the journaling and what have you that I've been doing, I do feel like that's kind of my core thing that that is holding me back, I suppose, and kind of stops me from really putting myself out there. So I've been trying to do a lot of work on this, and I think it will just be an ongoing thing. But I have found that journaling has been really helpful, as has tapping. So EFT tapping, I found that really helpful. And just to kind of really get to the root of the problem, and these, these beliefs and almost rewriting them. So I found kind of identifying what they are kind of writing them as statements and then re rewriting them before rewriting them thinking about where they've come from and kind of letting go of that truth and I guess practicing forgiveness because so often our beliefs come from either our society around us or like our families or friends and I think just accepting that although it may be because of them that you have these beliefs they were doing the best that they could with what they had so You can't be like angry at them or hold resentment towards them because again, you're, you're still holding yourself back. So that's been like a really big one as well for me, kind of thinking about practicing forgiveness. And I think another thing that's really helped is to use the, the yamas and the niyamas. So from yogic philosophy, the first and second limb, exploring them deeper and journaling around them. So. Thinking about ahimsa, non-violence and really thinking about how I am being violent towards myself with like my thoughts, my words, my actions, satya, truth, like how am I not being truthful to myself? Because I think what yoga teaches us so beautifully is that we have to start with ourselves and only then can we kind of make a difference in the world because it then sort of becomes that ripple effect. So actually, we're not here to change everyone around us. We're here to kind of change ourselves and then others will change by default. Mm. And if they don't, that's fine. You know, they're not necessarily the people for you anymore. You know, we're not here to be in each other's lives forever. Um, so, yeah, I guess an array of things, really. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And that kind of
0: brings me to thinking, again, back to yoga and like, how I think I, and I, I'm sure it's probably like this in the UK as well, but definitely in the U S like there's just such a hyper focus on the asana part of yoga and not the full eight limbs. And so for, yeah, curious to hear your views on that. And like, if, if you want to give a little breakdown of the eight limbs of yoga for people who don't know, but I think it's such an interesting piece that in our culture, we've kind of just like taken one part of this, like huge practice and like hyper focus on this like physical aspect of it, which really kind of almost goes against what what all of yoga is about. And like yeah, I think it's interesting that like some people don't even know that there's a seven other limbs of yoga. And so will you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah,
1: of course. So for me i knew there was more to yoga than what i was kind of seeing in the yoga studios i went to i wasn't fully sure what it was but i just knew that there was more to it which is why i chose to go to india to do my yoga teacher training because i really wanted to fully experience it from the birthplace so as you said there's eight limbs of yoga this is the yogic philosophy and we have the yamas, which are kind of the personal principles. The niyamas are the social principles. Then we have the asanas, which are the postures. And this is the part of yoga that is completely is what you see everywhere. So it's the same in the UK. I think it's just been culturally appropriated, completely whitewashed all over kind of the West Western cultures and this is what people think is yoga when actually it's only one eighth of yoga and actually asan means seat it doesn't even mean postures and the whole point of kind of practicing these these postures is so that our body is stable and strong so that we can sit for a prolonged period of time in meditation that was the aim whereas it's now really turned into gymnastics on your mat you know? and when you think of yoga you think of someone who's really thin who's white who has probably like lululemon leggings or some other brand um an expensive yoga mat and all of these things and it just makes it really unaccessible for so many people yet you know yoga comes from india but when i think of yoga or when i used to think of yoga i wouldn't think of an indian person at all and that's not to say that other people can't practice yoga but we need to be doing it respectfully because actually who's profiting off this massive industry. It's not the people whose culture it comes from. So then we have pranayam, which are the breathing techniques. We have bratyahara, which is sense withdrawal. Dharana, which is concentration. And this is actually what I'd say a lot of people in the West call meditation. What we're actually doing is practicing concentration. Whereas meditation is actually a state of being. So then we have dhyana, which is kind of that meditation um, state where you're kind of constantly in that that meditative state. And then we have samadhi, which is enlightenment, moksha, bliss, whatever you want to call it. So I mean, the whole point of yoga was to lead you to this enlightenment. And again, that's not to say that you you have to have that as your goal for practicing yoga. But I think it's important to acknowledge that that is, what it was, because so often yoga studios don't want you to kind of bring in these other aspects these the spiritual side when actually yoga is a spiritual practice it is a whole lifestyle, and what we well by we i mean the culture has done is took the bit that looks really aesthetic and is easy to package up and market and sold that, whereas the other parts they are hard it's hard to take a really long look at yourself and be like. Where on am I not being truthful to myself or to others to actually be disciplined enough to kind of do all of these different practices. And there's so much more to it, you know, mantra chanting to practice the, the different cleansing techniques that there are to make sure that your body is purified and clean to achieve this state. And you know, that's hard to sell to people as it were. So I think, you know, what's happened is they've just took the part that's easy um to sell and have packaged it up and done a really great job on it but again it's not you know it's not it's not benefiting those people whose whose culture it comes from and actually you know when the british invaded india people weren't allowed to practice yoga or, med- or um, ayurveda mm. and now it's kind of this huge thing that everyone does but people don't acknowledge its roots they don't give back to the cultures where it comes from and many other things
0: (laughs) yeah oh my gosh well thank you for sharing all of that and I think that's such an important piece to remember of like just the cultural appropriation of it all and the whitewashing of it and how to you know if you feel drawn to yoga it's it's our responsibility to really understand the ancient practice and to give back when we can and and really practice it in a respectful way Manner than rather than just kind of following blindly. So so again, it's a it's an example of like you know not just taking someone's word for what it is and really doing your own research in that and like and doing what you can. And I and I think it's it's interesting. We started talking about this conversation about Rishikesh because I don't know if this was your experience in Rishikesh, but what I found in Rishikesh almost this like you know this this it's it's the birthplace of yoga, but now you know and we had some of our teachers talking about this too of like now they've commodified yoga so much because they're catering to the western tourists that come over and want to study yoga so now this and it's still a beautiful sacred place but now more and more yoga studios are popping up and and so there there was that kind of question that I was grappling with myself like am I part of the problem being a white person going to India to study yoga and like While it's benefiting the economy there, but it's like, is is that what we want for the people? And so just, you know, brought up all these complicated questions, even being there, because I thought that I was maybe, quote unquote, doing the right thing by going to India to study. And that's what I felt called to do. But it's interesting to see even how that has changed their economy. But I guess in a way, at least then you're, you know, supporting actual Indian people and not some maybe white person in in an LA studio or whatever that is
1: yeah I think it's a tough one isn't it because like you said I was really surprised I've never seen anywhere in India like that before like it was it was a vegan's paradise you know very Mm. hipster and so on and I was just like quite surprised really because it's not the India that I have seen and you know it, it was nice it was it was nice but yeah I do hear what you're saying I think I saw it a bit less because we could only go in on Sunday so I only went there Mm. three times but I mean it's hard isn't it how how do we solve this problem it's a million dollar question really but yeah I guess you know kind of what we've already touched upon thinking about actually doing your own research because now you know we've got knowledge at our fingertips so people don't have an excuse not to not to learn about it and then i think also as yoga teachers it's our responsibility to then inform our students like Mm -hmm. i've heard of many um yoga teachers who have learned from western teachers who haven't really touched on yoga philosophy Mm -hmm. so then it also falls on the people that are teaching it and then you know you can't necessarily expect the students to go and do all of this research depending on you know how how kind of involved or For want of a better word awake they are to all of this stuff so yeah i think we all have a moral and a social obligation and then i think definitely just giving back so like for me i give like a percentage of my profits to this amazing ashram in india who's do like amazing work in the community and like their values very much align with mine so that's kind of one way that i think it's important to give back you know it doesn't have to be monetary it can be your time like there's so many things that we can do now We're more connected than ever. So, yeah, I think it's just being like a conscious consumer, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. And yeah, it falling
0: on kind of that reminder of like, yes, it's the teacher's responsibility to then share with the students and just kind of taking that responsibility and doing what you can with it as like part of your privilege and as part of continuing to share the message and the teachings. And so as we wrap up, I'm curious, I love to share creative resources with people. And so Are there any books or podcasts or things that you're inspired by either relating to menstrual cycles or kind of getting deeper into the philosophies and histories of yoga or just other things that you're inspired by? What are you you listening to, reading, watching all those kinds of things?
1: So one of my favorite books about the menstrual cycle is by Lisa Lister and it's called Code Red. Mm. And that's an amazing book. She really talks about the different practices you can do so from yoga to meditation to crystals and very like witchy stuff but in a very accessible way so that's one of my favorite um books and as i mentioned claire baker's amazing like would definitely recommend checking out her website she has a free like start to chart course that you can do So that's a really good place to start as well and podcast wise oh no actually another book that i love is by glennon doyle called untamed Mm. and i just feel like every woman or person that identifies as a woman or just everyone even men even just any person should read that book it's so incredible, really shifted and changed my perspective. And I know she's bringing out a podcast soon. I saw it on her Instagram the other day and I can't wait. And then another podcast that I love is called Saturn Returns and it's by Kagi. And she talks to lots of different people who are kind of going through or have gone through their Saturn Returns and talks about just loads of different practices really wellness practices spiritual practices and so on and yeah it's very relatable that's one of my favorite podcasts
0: oh I'm so glad you said that that's funny that you said that because I was I've been thinking a lot about Saturn returns this week because my boyfriend's like he's like in the midst of his and I'm like a year out and I just I can already feel the energy start to like turn. And I, and I've, I was like trying to look for resources about people going through their Saturn return. So I'm so glad
1: you mentioned that. I will definitely check that out. I love that. Timing. I love it when that happens. I know, right?
0: Just the synchronicities align. I love that. And so lastly, where can people
1: find you? Where can they work with you? And where can they just connect with you? So my Instagram is probably one of the best places. So it's at my wellness company and all my offerings I share on there and then also my website so www.mywellnesscompany.co.uk and you can book onto moon circles there you can work with me one-to-one and if you sign up to my newsletter you'll get lots of free wellness tools so a guide on how to work with the moon cycles Uh, meditations, gratitude journaling, and lots of other stuff. I'm always adding new things into into the freebies. Oh, I love that. That sounds like so much fun and definitely a
0: great resource for people to check out. So thank you so much for this conversation. You're beautiful and just so happy we connected and I'll put all of your links and stuff in the show notes so people can check
1: you out. Thank you so much. It was so, so lovely to speak to you. I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode,
0: please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. shining your creative soul.